Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. kids today. <laughs> Archie and Cindy are gone. They're on mission, so there's three kids <laughs> gone. Um, so just to give you guys an update, um, so I have shingles, uh, which don't worry, it's not contagious unless you lick my arm or do something. It's, it's contact contagious, so um, just don't touch me on this side of my body and you're fine. But I'm in intense pain. Like I've been in pain all week. Um, just my whole side is is pain and numb and weirdness. And uh, so it's been a crazy week. Um, Megan and Troy and Ryan prayed for me earlier, and Missy prayed for me on the way here. You guys have been praying, and I've had this pain all weekend in my head. Uh, just the virus kind of—it's like a stabbing pain. And then it, it moves, and then it stabs you somewhere else, and it's been in my, right behind my ear. And as everyone was praying this morning, and it's every 20, 30 seconds, it feels like someone just stabs me. And uh, so every, uh, that went away. Anyways, my point is it went away when everyone was praying this morning, and so thank you, praise Jesus. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's the virus hopefully stopping uh, in my body, and, and hopefully that stopped the spread. Um, so if I lifted up my sleeve, you'd see just a huge, nasty rash. It's like, any Harry Potter fans in here? It's, it's, it's like Filch when he eats those chocolates. <laughs> I know, it's gross. <laughs> it's so gross. Um, so, like, Missy and I, it's funny, we're talking about sex today, Missy and I are sleeping in different rooms. We're like, we can't, we're not touching each other, we're not, we're totally separate. Um, she's like, I don't want that. Uh, so, but um, there's something about being around the people of God and in the presence of God. And I felt better right now than I have all week, just because of that, just because the church is gathered and we're here together. And... So, uh, I think I'll be able to make it through the sermon, and then, and then I'll probably head off right afterwards. So, just to let you guys know, I'll probably jet right afterwards. And, um, uh, but thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you for everything that um, you guys have texted me and encouraged me throughout the week. So, thank you for that. Um, and I'll be, I got meds yesterday, so I'll be better soon. Uh, hopefully. That's, that's the plan. Okay. So, we're talking about sex today. We've been going through our Rethink series and uh, going through 1 Corinthians and dealing with different topics. Last week we talked about culture, and this week, sex. And, and so this is actually kind of a two-part, a two-part sermon. Uh, next week we'll talk about, I'll talk about marriage and the first five verses of chapter 7. And so you kind of want to pair next week with this week. So leaving what you hear this week, 
it's kind of leading up to next week. So just remember that. And then afterwards, we'll, I'll talk about family and singleness and legacy. This is where Paul is, is taking us. So sex this week. In the church, we don't talk a lot about sex. Um, but when I just said sex, something happened in your mind. Something popped in your head. You had, you know, so, something happened. It's just one of those charged words that, um, that's, that's in our culture. Um, and our culture views it one way, the church views it in a different way, and we're going to talk about that this morning and really talk about the Bible's sexual ethic in a sense. So in our culture, I was reading this article this past week by a guy named Trevin Wax, and he, says in our, he said, in our culture, uh, we have this mantra about sex, that Sex is everything, and sex is nothing. Sex is everything to us, but it's also nothing to us. Let me explain. So let's start with sex is nothing. In our culture, it's casual sex is, uh, reigns, reigns the day. You can have casual sex. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's nothing. Friends with benefits. Um... I'm going to throw out some uncomfortable language here. Booty call, you know. I mean, there's, someone's actually said that in one of my sermons in this auditorium before. <laughs> he just shouted it out. Um, go back, I don't know, how many, few months ago, and you can hear it uh, on audio. So, uh, sex is just, it's transactional. You know, there's sexting. There's, there's um, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's nothing to us. It's just physical, right? Um, pornography is rampant in our society. It, everyone looks at pornography, right? So it's accepted. We're like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, you, it's not hurting anybody, right? You, you can look at your porn. You can be sexually fulfilled, and and everything's okay. Um, because of that, uh, it's we've. It, it's funny how we've been. We treat sex like it's just nothing, but at the same time. We're shocked when uh, we read about university campuses and how there's, how there's this rape culture on, on campus. We're feeding into it. We're shocked when we read the news oh, just a week and a half ago when 100 men in York region were arrested for a mass child prostitution ring. But we're okay with sex over here, but, but we're still in shock when things like that happen. But for us in our culture, well, sex is nothing, right? The church's response to that is, no, sex is a lot more serious than you think. Sex is a lot more meaningful than you think. On the other hand, we have sex is everything. And our culture says that too. So at the same time our culture is saying sex is nothing, it's also saying sex is everything. It's your identity. It's your, you, your, you get fulfilled through it. What, you're, you're single and still a virgin? Have you heard someone say that before? Like, how can you live life? You haven't had sex? Have you heard someone say, oh, I haven't had sex in so many months or so many years or so many days? It's because their identity is wrapped up in sex. You heard someone say, well, I'm, I would only be happy if I could be with fill in the blank. Person. If I could, I would only be happy if sex is this way. Fill in the blank. It's because your identity is wrapped up 
in sex. It's because our culture's identity is wrapped up in sexuality, and we see it everywhere. It's pervasive, it's widespread, TVs, movies, videos, uh, magazines. I'm like scared for my daughters raising them up in, in this culture. But we've all grown up in this. The internet has changed everything. You can type in one three-letter word, that one, right there, sex, and you can get any image you want in milliseconds for free. It changed the way Playboy does business. They don't have nude pictures in Playboy anymore. It's now really all about the articles. <laughs> Because they know that it's free. you can get it for free any, and you can get anything you want. And so at the same time that sex is nothing and the church's response is no, it's more than that. Sex is everything in our culture. The church's response is you're more than your sexual identity. Sex is not everything. Sex is one part of something and you're much greater than that. And Jesus says, and Jesus doesn't say it's not important. He doesn't push it aside. He doesn't say it's evil, it's not important. You know, we don't, we don't touch that. He says you're way more than that. And what we've done is we've reduced human dignity. We've reduced humanity, we've reduced the image of God in us down to a sexual appetite that can be fulfilled in or satiated in mere minutes. And that actually reappears again in mere seconds. And we've put our whole identity into it. And Jesus says, we're better than that. You're created for more than that. But we worship sex inside the church and outside the church. Check out this quote from uh, Janelle Williams Paris. She is an anthropologist. She wrote a book called The End of Sexual Identity. She says, the idol of sexual fulfillment has two faces. One says each person has the right to be sexually satisfied and having sex is a necessary part of happy, mature adulthood or even adolescence. That's okay. <laughs> the second is a Christian one that says the reward for premarital sexual virtue is great marital sex. You see what we've done there? We've taken the idol of sexual fulfillment and we've taken it out of the environment of fornication, premarital sex, and we put it, the same idol of sexual fulfillment, in the context of marriage. And so if, you are, if you're a single Christian, you might say, well, I'm saving myself for, for my husband or my wife. I'm saving myself for marriage. That is the wrong way to think about marriage, guys. Marriage is not for sex and sexual fulfillment. That is an idol in your heart. You know, when I was growing up, there's this whole campaign called True Love Waits. Anyone know that? True Love Waits, yeah, yeah, I got one. All right, yeah, three, three of you guys. <laughs> the, uh, four, all right. I got cake at five. I was like, yeah, yeah, there you go. Six, six. All right. Yeah, you guys are like, you're too shy. Um, yeah, true love waits. Now the, and it was, it was fueling this idol of sexual fulfillment because it was saying, well, true love waits. If you're going to wait for your true love and you're going to save yourself for marriage, no, guess what? Your true love, if you're a follower of Jesus, has already arrived. That's Jesus. And that's God. You don't save yourself for marriage. You're, you're saving yourself for Jesus, for God. 
you're never going to find fulfillment in a man or a woman. And this has been an idol that's rampant in the church. And I know, I know couples who thought it was going to be great when they got married and they were sorely disappointed because it wasn't so great. It wasn't how the movies said it was going to be. And if your marriage is built on sex, you're going to be, <laughs> you're going to have a rude awakening when uh, marriage is a lot harder than that. So um, w- her point here is that all we've done is we've shifted the environment for our idol. And Paul here is dealing with that idol. He says, we, uh, that is not what sex is for. And uh, so Janelle Williams Paris is this anthropologist. Um, she's showing us that even in the, in the Christian world, we're just as duped by sex as, as those um, in the secular world. So, Here's the statement I want you guys to remember as we go through this. That what you do with your body, you do with your spirit. And this is the point that Paul is making. And what you do with your spirit has eternal effects. So what you do with your body, you do with your spirit. Whether you're a believer or not, or not a believer this morning. And what you do with your spirit has eternal effects. In, verses, in verse 13 here, Paul says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality. And we can put anything in there. We can put any sin in there. The body is not meant for greed. The body is not meant for uh, uh, anger. or You can put any sin in there. Uh, but Paul is specifically talking about sexual immorality here because it's a problem in the church. And the church he's, he's addressing, it's a, it's a huge issue. And like I said last week, Corinth is Toronto. We're, we're this city. So he says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. So he redefines what, what, is, what our body is meant for here. And what we have here in verses 13 through... Where are we? Yeah, 13, 14, 13 through 17 is, is these bookends where, where he says we, are, we have body and we have spirit and we're in both those things in God. And so that's what we're going to walk through. And what's happening in the church at Corinth is they're creating this platonic false dichotomy, this dualism between what we do in the body and what we do in the spirit. And they're saying, well, Food is meant for the stomach, stomach for food. We can do whatever we want here. And that's a, it's in quotes because it's a, it's a saying in Corinth. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. These two things are inextricably linked. In Christian theology, body and spirit are inextricably tied together. You cannot separate them. Paul, Paul really expounds on this in, in his second letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 and following, that these things are, are together. And the Corinthians are, remember this is Hellenistic culture, Greek culture, they are going off this Platonic dualism that, no, what we do in the body, that's, that's just for the body. If the body's going to die, it's going to be gone. Um, and Paul says, no, 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 here's and here's why. He says, because in verse 14, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. 
when he raised Jesus, he raised all of his self. He raised all of Jesus. He raised his body. And yes, he, he gave him a new body, a glorified body. But he raised his body and his spirit. So he uses Jesus as, as the example here. And then in verse 15 he says, Do you not know? This is the sixth time in this book, in this letter to the Corinthians, that Paul says, Do you not know? I could probably preach a whole sermon on on those, how many words is that, three? Four, on those four words. I'd probably preach a whole series on those four words. Do you not know? For how many of you does that define your faith? How many of you, if I were to look at your life, or someone was to look at your life, and they were to write a letter to you, would they say, do you not know this? Do you not know that you're meant to experience joy in Christ? Do you not know that that sin is no longer supposed to entangle you? Do you not know that you're supposed to live a life like this and not like this? Do you not know that you're free from Christ? And for many of us who are followers of Jesus, the do you not knows reign in our lives. And Paul would say, do you not know this? There's this beautiful thing about the faith. And here he says to them, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And so we're going to walk, there's three of these statements. The first do you not know statement that Paul is emphasizing is this. You are united in spirit and soma with Jesus. I just put soma in there because it sounds better. Soma is a Greek word for body. But it just, it comes off better. United in spirit and soma. You can remember that. You know, but it's spirit and body with Jesus. Because here's the bookends. He says, your bodies are members of Christ. And then, and then in verse 17, he says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So he says, it's both. We're united both in spirit and soma, body, with Jesus. He says, don't you know this? And this isn't an indictment against Paul's teaching. He's, he's basically saying, you should know this. You should be living as if this is the reality. It should be clear to you that this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so when he says, do you not know, he's, he's actually indicting them. He's saying, guys, you know better than this. Like this is, he's almost like, this is ridiculous. So he says, your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ, and this is verse 15, and make them members of a prostitute? He says, never. He says, this word is, how dare you, basically? Why would you ever do that, he says. And Paul's actually using very graphic imagery here. Very graphic. It's, it's very shocking if, if, you, if you were to read this. Um, he's, he's basically saying, are you going to force Jesus to have sex with a prostitute? You are the members of Christ. This is to the church, guys. This is to us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus. We're not talking about the secular world. Paul was talking about that earlier, but he is giving an indictment not to our culture. He's giving an indictment to our church, to the, those who say they're followers of Jesus. And he says, you're okay with taking Jesus and forcing him to have sex with a prostitute. And it gets, it's even more graphic than that. I'm not going to go into it. But you get, you get the picture. And he says, you're even okay with prostituting yourselves and making Jesus a prostitute. He says, 
Do you not know that your body is members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Are you okay with your Lord and Savior being a prostitute? Selling himself for sex? That's shocking to the church. Like, that's in the Bible, guys. That's, Paul is saying, this is how heinous it is what you're doing. Because you represent Christ. You're one in spirit and soma with him. And he says, never, how dare you do that? Verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined or prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. And this leads us to the second do you not know statement, that sex is as much a spiritual act as it is a physical act. And this goes against the sex is, is nothing mantra in our culture. That sex is as much a spiritual act as it is a physical act. It's both those things. If we're united with Christ in spirit and in body, then it's both of those things. And Paul says here, in a reference to marriage, and this is another quote, he says, the two will become one flesh. This is a reference not to a Corinthian saying, but to Genesis 2.24, where we see the first marriage take place in the Bible between Adam and Eve. And what consummates the marriage is the sexual union, is sec the sexual relationship. And he says here that when that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. He's saying, you're basically marrying whoever you have sex with. And when, he, when Paul says joined here, he uses that word twice. He says, you're, you're joining yourselves and you're joining Christ. It's, it's like taking this word that he uses is, is, means like bonding together or gluing together, or joining together, or uniting together. And so you think about gluing two pieces of paper together and sticking them together, and then trying to tear them apart. And what do you, you know what happens. There's residue on both sides. Uh, a few years ago, actually when we first moved here, our daughter Reagan, who's five now, um, this was Saturday night, this is before service on Sunday, and... We just started the church. It was, we were fairly new into weekly services. And we were putting the girls to bed, and Reagan was jumping on the bed. And if you know Reagan, you know she's a little wild. Like, she's, she's great. She's a great kid. She listens well, but she's, like, really rambunctious. So she's, like, jumping on the bed like crazy. I don't know, she was two? Yeah, around two. And... Um, and right next to Reagan's bed, actually it's Emerson's bed, I should say, right next to Emerson's bed, there's a radiator, like a hard metal, iron, whatever it's made of, radiator. And she's, she's jumping so crazily that she's getting close to the edge of the bed, and I go to grab her so she doesn't fall off, and she goes like this so I don't grab her, and she slips, hits the edge of the bed, and bounces straight into the radiator, which is only like a foot away from the bed. And her head hits the radiator. And she's screaming like crazy. I go to pick her up, and I put my hand on her head, and I pull my hand away, and it's just bloody. And I'm like, oh my God! <laughs> she's gonna die! <laughs> I'm like freaking out. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. And, and I look, and her hair, 
uh, her head is basically split open. Like there's a there's a inch, two inch gash where it's just like boom, like it just it's, had split. And you can see, I mean, touch your head back. There's not a whole lot of skin, right? Like so you can see the the skull. And um, so we so Missy takes her in. I stay with Emerson, and Missy takes her in the the ER. And it was our first experience with with medical stuff in in Canada, um, and it was awesome because like we didn't have to pay anything. <laughs> I was like, I love Canada. This is this is so cool. Uh, so we we take her in, and what they did is they they use glue to. So actually, first they took her hair, and instead of using stitches. They braided her hair and tied the wound closed. It was so cool. They're like, yeah, it was really neat. And then they glued it. And then when it healed, all we did was brush out her hair and there's no wound. That's the picture that Paul's giving us. When the sexual union happens, it's like taking two things and closing it together. And they're united so clean that it looks like one flesh, just one flesh. And if you're going to rip that apart, then you're going to have to tear the head back open. And Paul's saying, when two become one flesh, there's something so spiritually significant about it. Sex isn't just nothing. It has this immense spiritual and physical significance because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a member of Christ. You're one with Christ in body and in spirit. And so sex is actually a worshipful act. How many of you guys have thought about sex like that before? That you can actually worship God and glorify God through the sexual act. And Paul's saying, yes, it's so significant that we can do that. So going into verse 17 here, he says, but, and oh, I mentioned 17 earlier, that this is where uh, you become one spirit with the Lord. Going into verse 18, Paul tells us what we should do. So because of all that, what next? What does that mean for us? What should we do? He says in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So a couple things here. Flee sexual immorality. That is an imperative, so it's a command from Paul, and it's in a present tense. So basically he's saying continually flee it. Just run away from it, Paul says. Just just run. Um, And that shows us the devious nature of sexual immorality. It shows us the entrapment of sex and our sexual desires. It shows us uh, just how tricky and deceptive our sexual lusts and temptations and desires can be. Because Paul says, just run away from it. Just flee it. And he says every other sin a person commits is outside the body. So he says that sex is a different kind of sin. It's the only sin 
that is talked about in a different way like this. It's the only sin that originates inside the body and is, and is fulfilled with the body. And he says it's different. It's against your own body. And so sex isn't necessarily worse, so sexual immorality, I should say, isn't necessarily worse than any other sin. But it has a whole different set of consequences, doesn't it? Mental, emotional, physical, spiritual consequences that are far more reaching than, uh, I mean, you compare it to a lie or something like that. Sex is something done against yourself. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he'll talk about this. Uh, it's done against the Spirit of God. So it's different. So the question now is, well, maybe you're sitting there and you're just wrecked with sexual sin. You're addicted to pornography. Um, I'm, I'd be surprised if you're not addicted. That's how pervasive it is in our culture. That's how widespread pornography is in our culture. I'd be impressed if you weren't addicted. I deal with so many people who are addicted to pornography, who deal with sexual lust and temptation. Maybe you're sitting there and you're in a sexual relationship that you know is bad, that you know is wrong, that you know you shouldn't be in, whatever it is, and you just can't find your way out of it. You just, you just can't. Maybe you've tried to flee and you, and you just can't. With pornography or lust or that person at work who you feel an attraction to or uh, you know, your friend or whoever it is, like maybe, maybe you've tried to flee it, but, but you can't. And your question is, gosh, I, how can I ever, can I ever overcome this? I've been struggling with this for years. I've been, I've been, I've tried everything. Can I ever overcome this? And the answer is yes, you can. Uh, Missy and I, uh, we've taken Krav Maga. Uh, Alex has taken it, Seth has taken it as well. We've been training Krav Maga. Is Alex in here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Alex, Missy and I, and Seth, who's living it up in the UK right now, um, we could all kill you with a flick of the wrist. Um, so Krav Maga is the Israeli, it was developed by the Israeli Defense Forces, and it's a, it was started as a self-defense system for Jews against the Nazi regime. And then it developed into uh, the IDF's way of uh, close combat. So it's all built off of self-defense, but it's all about close combat. So Miss and I took two years of it um, before uh, we, yeah, she got pregnant with Emerson and we had to quit. Um, and there's one rule in Krav Maga, and it's really intense. If, if you don't know it, look it up on YouTube later. Um, if you've seen the Batman trilogy, like that's what Batman does is Krav Maga in the first one. Um, all U.S. law enforcement takes Krav Maga. Um, so anyways, there's one objective in Krav Maga. You want to effectively and efficiently take out your opponent. So as quickly as possible. Like that's your advantage. That you know how to do it, you know how to get them on the ground. And you either want to do that so that it gives you time to flee, to run away, so you, yeah, you incapacitate them in, in time for you to, to give you enough time to flee, or 
so that they never get up again. That's what my instructor used to always say. <laughs> Either you give you time to run, or you make sure they don't ever get up again. And he also said that uh, all things being equal, that in a fight, it's not necessarily the person with the most skill that wins the battle. It's the person with the most stamina, the most endurance, who can persevere the longest. This is how we deal with sexual sin. You haven't overcome sexual sin in your life yet because you don't have enough stamina. Paul's saying, here, you, need to, you need to effectively and efficiently take care of sexual immorality right away and run from it. So you've got to get it on the ground right away and take off as soon as possible until you build up the stamina to overcome it. And here's the thing with sexual fulfillment. We know it's an idol because the only perfect life ever lived was one devoid of sexual fulfillment in a physical sense. That's Jesus. And because of Jesus, we know it's possible to overcome. Because he's overcome, and if you're in Jesus, you can overcome. But for many of us, Stamina is our issue. We can only hold up on the temptation for so long until we give in. But Jesus held up under it all his life to the point of never giving in. And he shows us that it's possible in the flesh to do that. And so as you, as you, it's like, a mar- it's like training for a marathon. You run one kilometer and then you run two and then you can run three, and then you can run four. That's how it is with, with sexual sin. Probably any sin. We're talking about sex today, sexual morality. Is, as you build up the, your stamina by staying up under the pressure longer, by fighting that temptation longer, by pushing forward longer, and eventually you'll realize that you've overcome. Eventually, you know, the Bible talks about sin as a weight that clings to us. And if you've ever done uh, training with weights and, and running, you know if you, you run with weights, when you take the weights off, you feel so free. You feel like you can run, uh, you know, a four-second, 100-yard 100 100 yard dash uh, because you've been carrying these weights. And Christ has freed you from those weights. And he's saying you can flee, but also you can overcome. And I know this from firsthand experience in my own life, from overcoming lust and a sin like this, lust, pornography, sexual temptation, all these things, that it is possible for you to do the same thing. We don't have to say, well, yeah, of course Jesus did it. No, I'm here to tell you today that it's possible for you to overcome that in your life. And it's, you just have to stay up under it longer. And Paul says here, if you can't do that, then just run away from it. Flee. And this leads us to the third statement, the third do you not know statement, which is the Holy Spirit has redeemed you and gives you the power to overcome sin. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? That's such a beautiful statement. 
There's two words in Greek for temple. There's one that refers to the entire temple complex, outer courts and everything. This word is the one that refers to the inner sanctum of uh, the temple, where the glory of God dwells, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's presence was uh, said to have been concentrated. This is the holy of holies that Paul is referring to. And he says, you, before he was talking about the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, but in this chapter he's saying, you individually, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he says, that's within you. And it's from without you. It's from somewhere else. It's from God. He says, so that power, you don't have to rely on your own power to overcome sin. That power has been given to you. It's been entrusted to you. It's been put inside you. God has given you his Holy Spirit for you are not your own and you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And Paul's making the point here that you've been redeemed. You've been changed. You've been cleansed. You've been washed. You've been sanctified, made holy. You've been justified, made right and righteous in Christ Jesus. And the sin has no place in your life. Has no place. He says, that's what you used to be. And that's not what you are. And in fact... He's not saying, well, now you should glorify God in your body. He's saying, now you know what you're created for. To glorify God in your body. And now you actually can do that. You couldn't do it before. But the Spirit of God is now within you. And now you can do that. You have a new master, he's saying. This, this imagery here is when he says you were bought with a price, he's referring to Christ's sacrifice for us. He's referring to the blood of Christ that, that purchased us. And this imagery in the first century was, was used in the marketplace for, for uh, purchasing people, for servants. And he says, you're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to the world. You have a new Lord. You have someone who's redeemed you. And not someone who's over you, but someone who's brought you up as a co-heir with Christ. A co-heir. That, that when God sees us, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see a, 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 uh, a slave who's just going to do his bidding. He sees his son when he looks at you. You've been fully redeemed by the blood of Jesus because of that you can overcome how beautiful is that for any sin in your life for anything that entangles you and, and prevents you from, from living out to your full potential and for Paul specifically in this passage he says sex is what totally debilitates us on so many levels it informs the way you view relationships and it feels like everything to you right if you're, if you're dealing with sexual sin, it feels like your whole self. It feels like you can't think any other way. But when Paul talks about this, he says, we are actually the members of Christ. 
you're actually the, literally says you're the limbs and the organs of Christ. So how are we representing the heart of Christ in the world? Paul says we have the mind of Christ. Live in that. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. Live in that. You have the heart of Christ, he says. We are his limbs and his organs. Stop living in the muck. For you are created to glorify God. And that word glorify means we're literally able to radiate the presence of God and declare that we have a new owner, that it's God, that he's redeemed us, and we radiate his presence and his glory. So if you're not a believer in here this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's what Jesus is inviting you into, a full redemption, a full pardon. If you're struggling with sin this morning, you don't have to be. If you feel dirty from your sexual sin this morning, you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to feel that way. You've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. Now live like it and glorify God in your body. There is full redemption from any of those sins in Christ Jesus. And all you have to do is take a step of faith and say, Jesus, I want that. Cleanse me, sanctify me, justify me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your scriptures. That we've been washed. We've been justified and sanctified and and glorified. I don't know why we live in the muck so often. thank you for showing us that you didn't come to condemn us. We were already condemned. You came to rescue us. You came to redeem us. You came to save us. And to show us that we were meant for something greater than an appetite. Than a lust. Than a desire. We were created to transform those lust, desires, and appetites into something good and holy and pleasing to you and to direct them to the only one who is going to give us full satisfaction, and that is you, Lord Jesus. We praise you, we love you, we thank you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.